Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number, 877-973-7425. I, I gotta say, uh, one of the most bizarre things that I have heard is MSNBC. You know, I mentioned yesterday the shooting up in North Carolina. There someone shot up two different power transformer stations, substations, knocking out the power in, in and around the Southern Pines, North Carolina, or Pinehurst and the like, Southern Pines, WEEB, uh, 97.3 um, in 104.1 up there. I've got a, there's one of my affiliates. It's actually my very first affiliate outside of Georgia is in Southern Pines, North Carolina. And I've got a strong listenership up there. Get calls from them all the time. Wonderful people uh, in a beautiful part of the state. The Pinehurst, the very famous golf course is up there. And someone shot up two power transformer stations taking out the power in that area. It's southwest of Raleigh. And it's kind of alarming. It's clearly a criminal act. We don't know who it is. Well... MSNBC is speculating on it. Here's one of their national security analysts. Listen very closely to this clip. Well, we all want to know who and why, and that's where the FBI comes in, not only generally when they respond to crimes and support locals and, and state authorities like this. They're going to develop a profile. They're going to help with forensic, physical evidence, all of that, yes. But we know the FBI, of course, is the lead agency for an act of domestic terrorism, and they're going to be pursuing motive here and yes it's quick and convenient to say look we we know about this planned drag show in town it happens i think every year and yes the coordinators of that show said they had been receiving uh, unprecedented levels of threats or, or disagreement over this so they'll be exploring all of that the communications around that event but let's not necessarily do the quick and convenient thing because there's something much larger going on here, Nicole. We saw something similar to this out in California in 2013. It's never been solved. It was at a Pacific Gas and Electric facility with sniper fire was used to take out transformers at a substation, and it woke everybody up in law enforcement. You got that? You got that? Maybe it was the drag queen show. In Southern Pines, North Carolina, uh, there was a drag show. It's an annual event. It happened December 3rd, Sunrise Theater in Southern Pines. It's put on by a group called Sandhill Pride, who says they've held four events like this in Southern Pines. The previous three were in the Belvedere Plaza in downtown Southern Pines. They also held a Kinky Boots watch party there. It's a movie in 2019. The event is hosted by Naomi Dix, a drag artist who has been performing for over eight years, based in Durham, performed all over North Carolina. Uh, the reaction um, was hostile, and there were threats and all of that. But I need to play you the clip one more time from MSNBC. Well, we all want to know who and why, and that's where the FBI comes in, not only generally when they respond to crimes and support 
locals and, and state authorities like this, they're going to develop a profile. They're going to help with forensic, physical evidence, all of that, yes. But we know the FBI, of course, is the lead agency for an act of domestic terrorism. And they're going to be pursuing motive here. And yes, it's quick and convenient to say, look, we, we know about this planned drag show in town. It happens, I think, every year. We know about this planned drag show. It happens in this town, I think, every year. The speculation being someone was going to take out the power in the county, Moore County, North Carolina, to stop a drag queen show. The attack happened after the event. That's right. The event happened uh, in the end of November. Uh, nope, nope, I'm sorry. Uh, it happened uh, December 3rd. And the attack on the power generation plant happened what on the 4th. On Sunday the 4th. That's right. So it happened after the event. But MSNBC felt free to speculate that it may very well have been to try to stop an event that already happened. I don't want to belabor the point, but this is one I hope everyone really does pay attention to. The American media is in decline. Its reputation is in decline. Its trust levels are in decline. Uh, and people genuinely disbelieve what they hear in the press. People want it to be confirmed in other sources before they engage with it. Even here, I very often now refuse to talk about big stories in the news until several days are passed because I know more often than not what's going to happen is there's going to be some clarity provided on the story that changes key details, particularly if it involves Donald Trump. So you have this uh, Figliuzzi guy on MSNBC, who's one of their national security analyst commentators, who is on MSNBC to talk about a criminal power outage in North Carolina. It appears an attack began on Saturday around 7 p.m. That would be December 3rd. It happened at 7 p.m. Uh, in um, the Southern Pines, North Carolina area. And around the same time was a drag queen show in downtown Southern Pines. And so the attack happened, the power facilities, around the time a drag queen show was starting. And MSNBC's immediate speculation was, well, maybe someone was trying to take out the power to stop the drag queens. First of all, you clearly don't understand drag queens. Um, they do the show with or without power, I guarantee you. 
uh, they wish to be seen on a stage somewhere. But second, isn't it interesting how the immediate rush from MSNBC is to suggest that maybe there's a tie-in. It's got to be some MAGA group. It's got to be some white nationalist group. It's got to be something. Uh, it's got to be some criminal act to, to do this. Except uh, the way they talked about it on MSNBC was to suggest almost that the attack came before the event called Downtown Divas happened. It actually was around the same time they began experiencing the problems. In fact, um, CNN also reports that uh, the Sunrise Theater advertised Downtown Divas starting at 7 p.m., and it was after that, shortly after that, that the power cut. And... No one in the area actually thinks that it is related, but the national media does. In fact, law enforcement says they have, quote, have not been able to tie anything back to the drag show. They don't know, but the media has rushed there because the media is convinced of it. You know, I I just let me step back for a moment and, and say something in a larger area. The transgender phenomenon in this country, we are talking about probably less than 1% of America. If the media stopped talking about it and promoting it, it would sail over people's heads. The media, it's obsession with it. Like, for example, um, Soeb Amari attacked David French. And I don't expect any of you to really pay attention to the details, but several years ago, uh, a writer essentially did a uh, Twitter thread and a piece that was against Frenchism, against David French. Uh, I, I know David. David's a friend. Um, we don't agree on on a ton of things these days, but he's a he's a very nice guy, a dear friend. This guy went after him. And I actually probably agree with this guy more often than David, but he he kind of identified David as as the face of something that is beyond David French. But uh, David French had uh, disagreed with the idea that we should just pass laws and shut down drag queen story hour everywhere. That if you and I wish to live in an area where we don't have them, we should allow people who wish to have them to live in their area. It's essentially allow federalism to work. And it became a very big thing on the right, whether you are for or against the Drag Queen Story Hour. What is notable, however, is not where people on the right were, but what actually happened culturally is now suddenly they're everywhere. That this this clearly aggravated people on the right, and so the response of people on the left was to make sure we have them everywhere. Have as many Drag Queen events as possible because it infuriates the right. Just as so many people on the right have decided to own the left in their antics, people on the left have decided they want to own the right in their antics. On both sides, it's rather juvenile. And on this side, it's a deeply malevolent force that gets parents to take their children to these hypersexualized events where in many cases, the children themselves become sexualized. It's, it's frankly awful. And you may not feel it's awful. You may feel it's just a cultural critique. It's, it's it's no big deal. But I actually think it is a big deal and that so many people are such bad parents these days, they don't realize it. What I find even more interesting, though, is that the media now makes every potential issue about these things. 
oh, there was a shooting at a power facility near a town that was going to have a drag event, and they were roughly the same time. They must be related. Encyclopedia Brown says so. Maybe not. Maybe not. Law enforcement says there's no evidence. Of course, they don't know who did it. They've got no idea. Law enforcement has no clues. They're trying to find maybe it is. Maybe it is related. It's just curious to me how the suspicions of the media always go towards their left-wing sensitivities and sensibilities and their hostility of people on the right. Well, clearly, this was a terrorist attack to stop a drag queen show. Or maybe it wasn't. But I suspect if it was related, we're going to hear all about it. If it wasn't related, we're never going to hear about it again. We still, after all, don't know what happened with the mass shooting in Las Vegas. It's one of the very few incidents like that that ISIS took credit for. ISIS very often refuses to take credit for events. Yet the mass shooting at that concert in Las Vegas and ISIS took credit for it through its standard channels, which very often when someone credits ISIS with something, they release a statement saying, it's not us. This time it was. And to this day, the FBI says, we don't know what provoked the guy to commit that shooting. Maybe it was ISIS. We only ever find out about these sorts of things and the motives behind them if they can try to make someone on the right look bad. So if this actually was related to the drag queen event, uh, we're going to hear about it. And if not, people will prefer you forget it. I want to tell you guys a little about a group I've been working with, Americans for Prosperity. Maybe you've heard of them. They're the largest grassroots network in the country fighting to expand freedom and opportunity so that we can unleash prosperity in America again. Here's what I like about Americans for Prosperity. They focus on building movements at the community level, not Washington, D.C. That's actually how I first came to know them, in Georgia, helping rise up the Tea Party movement in 2010. They understand we're not going to find solutions in Washington. we got to take power out of Washington. That's going to have to come from Americans like you outside the Beltway bubble. That's why I'm excited to partner with Americans for Prosperity to provide an effective platform where we can talk to our fellow Americans and advocate for solutions to the most critical challenges facing the country. I encourage you to learn more about Americans for Prosperity by going to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Glad to have you with me. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I'm going to go to Ryan waiting patiently. Welcome to the program, Ryan. How are you? Hey, Eric. This is Ryan. I'm down in Warner Robins. Um, Excellent. Uh, yeah, because somebody's not on my radio anymore, so I have to listen to you <laughs> online. Um, Anyway, uh, wanted to harp on a little bit the stuff you've been talking about the last 30 minutes. It's like, this is why people don't trust the media when they're really right about something, like the whole, you know, there was no election fraud, but they won't listen because they're doing all this other, media doing all this other sort of stuff, and people are running to the crazy right-wing people who are then grifting them. Yeah. Yeah, look, um... I, I got to say, because so much of the media these days looks at liberals as their income earners and revenue generators, they cater to them. And as they have, people on our side listen to them less and less. And honestly, it gets me frustrated because there is good news out there. And I, on a daily basis now, 
We'll do a story as source it to like the New York Times. It's a totally legit story. Everybody agrees with it. And yet I'll get a listener who sends me hate mail. I can't believe you read that story from the New York Times. How can you believe them? Yeah. So just aggravate as I'll get out. Yeah, well, and listen, I, I know it's aggravating. I, I hope to at some point be back on the radio down at uh, WMAC down there or some other talk station um, in middle Georgia. That 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 one kind of fresh me. Although I have to admit, I've gone back and forth on this one, Ryan, because on occasion I go to the grocery store and I have to interact with people who listen. And I thought, you know, they would stop listening and they'd forget who I am and I could grocery shop in peace. But I know what my live stream numbers are, and I got—I think I have more people listening to me online in Middle Georgia than the talk station has listening on the radio. Oh, well, there you go. There, yeah, there's so, your... yeah, there is some benefit to that. Look, I, I appreciate it very much. I, I'm glad the weather is, is clearing out for both of us. I may have to go hit some golf balls this afternoon now that although it's going to be walking only on the on the course after all the rain. But, hey, did you go vote? Yes. Yes, I did. First thing this morning. Good for you. Well, look, I appreciate the phone call, Ryan. Thanks very much. Uh, yeah, you can still get out and vote until 7 p.m. tonight, folks. Uh, so I got an email from someone saying, if they count every vote, why is there such a big push for early voting? If every vote matters, why why all the early vote push? Uh, and it's this. And I should probably, you know what? Let me read the question um, and let me let me find... Where is the person, Samantha, emailed? So I got an email from a listener. If every vote counts, why is there so much encouragement to vote early? I, by the way, vote early every time. But recently, media outlets have been talking so much that early voting is lifting Democrats. How could that make a difference if every vote counts? Very simply. Because if you have to stand in line on election day and it's pouring down rain, you may not show up. You may forget to go vote. More importantly, you could have a negative attack ad that comes in the middle of early voting that is designed to get you to not vote on election day. So the more Republicans and Democrats alike get people to vote early, the more they lock in those votes. Democrats overwhelmingly now encourage people to vote early. They drive people to the polls, uh, to the early voting locations to get them to vote, and they vote. And then Republicans are all expected to show up on Election Day where they've got to do it in inclement weather. They've got to remember to do it. They they uh, have to rearrange their schedule in some cases to it. And oftentimes they say, I, I can't go do it. So by voting early, you bank your votes. The other thing that early voting helps is by banking votes, both sides really track the early voting. Who is it who's voting? How many Democrats versus how many Republicans? They also know how many more people they got to turn out on Election Day. And inevitably, Republicans always have to turn out more people on Election Day than the Democrats. And the result is it's dependent on the weather. It's dependent on their schedule. It's dependent on whether they remember it becomes harder for the campaigns to do. So, yes, every vote counts, but when you vote early, you're more likely to actually vote, and you have multiple days on which to plan to vote as opposed to showing up on Election Day and hoping there's no line and no rain or no snow or anything like that. Uh, those sorts of things matter greatly, which is why I think every Republican needs to go out of their way to start getting in the habit of voting early. And... 
you know, we used to do that. Republicans used to have the absolute game plan for early voting and absentee balloting, and now it's the Democrats who kick our butt at it. A friend of mine and I were discussing bull and branch sheets the other night when he was sitting on the front porch with me, and he didn't believe that they got softer and softer every time you wash them. His wife was not convinced at all. She figured it was all marketing hype. Now she wants bull and branch sheets for all of their beds at home. Why? Because they really do get softer every time you wash them. They're free of toxins, pesticides, harsh chemicals at every step of the process. They're the finest 100% organic cotton on earth. They're made by artisans who earn the pay and the respect they deserve and right now you can bring home a better night's sleep this holiday season with bowl and branch bedding their signature sheets even come wrapped and ready in a beautiful holiday gift box it's going to look good it's going to feel great for a limited time get 20 percent off your first set of sheets and free shipping when you use promo code eric at bowlandbranch.com that's bowlandbranch b-o-l-l-a-n-d branch.com promo code is eric e-r-i-c-k at bowlandbranch.com Hi there, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I'm going to go off on a wild tangent based on a news story I saw in commercial break. You know, when we research this program and we ask listeners what to expect the thing that comes up repeatedly is you never know what the heck I'm going to talk about or say on an issue. <laughs> and the problem is I start reading something in commercial break and say, I was going to talk about this, but I think I actually want to talk about this instead. Um, <laughs> okay. So this is from Mark Gurman. Mark Gurman is a tech writer at Bloomberg News, and he's on the Apple beat. Uh, and essentially, the story is that Apple wants to release a car in the year 2026. Originally designed by Johnny Ive of Apple fame, it was going to be without pedals and without a steering wheel. Yeah, only Apple. Uh, the, the, the company that produced a phone that has no buttons <laughs> no keyboard or anything you know, look i i the the apple event when when steve jobs introduced the iphone and there was that one button the home button and nothing else um people were like what the heck of course apple would be the company that wanted to produce a car with no steering wheel and no pedals well in a significant shift for the project the company is now planning a less ambitious design that will include a steering wheel and pedals and only support full autonomous capabilities on highways, said the people who asked not to be identified because the information is private. Apple's previous vision for the car was to offer quote-unquote level five autonomy, the pinnacle of self-driving technology, which no automaker has attained the current plan is considered below that because of its more limited scope. The heart of Apple's technology is a powerful onboard computer system codenamed Denali after the tallest mountain peak in North America and a custom array of sensors. The processor's performance is equal to about four of Apple's highest-end Mac chips combined and is being developed by the company's Silicon Engineering Group. Now, I, I can stop there. Let me just say this. I have long suspected that the Apple car project had more to do with Apple developing other things than with the car project itself. 
Uh, when you think about the car project, uh, you are thinking about um, navigation systems for maps. You're thinking about the in-car in display like CarPlay. You're thinking about sound systems. You're thinking about chips and processors and sensors and what all you can fit. I always kind of presumed it wasn't a real project. It was a real project for purposes of developing technologies to deploy elsewhere. But apparently, it's a real project and a dumb one. No steering wheel and no pedals is dumb. I say all of this because before I was born, when some of you listening were young children before I was born, it was the flying car. And the flying car was going to be the future. Go back to issues of uh, popular mechanics popular science in the 1950s and the 1960s. And you see all these stories about the flying car. We ain't got to the flying car yet. I think this generation's flying car is the self-driving car. Because yes, we do have flying cars. It is possible. There are also cars that float that you can go from land to sea and back again. They exist, but they're not common. I see a lot of people driving Teslas around. And Tesla has a onboard system that allegedly allows you in some capacity to have semi-autonomous driving. Keep your hand near, not on the steering wheel. And the Tesla will change lanes for you. It can get off the interstate for you. It can do a whole lot of things for you. But there are always roads where it does not work. I took my family to Louisiana a few weeks ago to see my parents. I rented an SUV. They gave me a Jeep Wagoneer. The thing had the most obnoxious bells and whistles. To this day, it was giving me alarms, and I don't know what the alarms were for. I have no idea. Uh, but it was giving me, spitting off all sorts of alarms. One I figured out was if there were um, traffic cameras at stoplights, it would beep. And I only figured that out because it only beeped every time my uh, Apple CarPlay system was warning me that there was a traffic light camera, the car would beep. And if I didn't have the traffic uh, CarPlay in, I still got the alarm from the car, but the car made no effort to tell me what the alarm was for. Just beep, 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 beep. The thing, if, if I had both hands on the steering wheel but wasn't gripping it tightly enough, it would yell at me that I needed my hands on the steering wheel. It, it, it's the most bizarre thing. At one point... On the interstate. Now, I am in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm on the interstate, which is an elevated overpass through downtown Baton Rouge uh, that is ancient of days and probably needs serious repair. And it has all of the, I, I mean, I can't figure out how to turn all the damn stuff off. And it, it's got the, the lane assistance. And at one point, there is a line on the interstate, and the lane is like this, but the line curves. And the car literally tried to steer me into another person's vehicle because the paint on the road was curved like it was a line in the road, and it thought I was coming out of the line, and I had to course correct myself and nearly wreck the other way. It was awful. It was a horrible experience. I don't know why people like those vehicles. I, I finally had to sit down at some point and, and push every button I could and get the online manual to figure out how to turn all that crap off. It was awful. And the same thing with these other self-driving cars. So many of them are based on lines on the road, high-end GPS and radars and LIDAR and all of that, but also the lines on the road. And so on a lot of interstates, it can keep you fine, but God help you in Louisiana. 
You know, the roads in Louisiana are so bad is because for years the drinking age stayed 18 after the rest of the nation raised it to 21. In Louisiana, they came up with a novel way to keep the drinking age 18. It was not illegal to sell alcohol to someone uh, 18 to 21, but it was illegal to buy alcohol under the age of 21. So if you were 18 to 21, it was legal to sell it. It was illegal to buy it. And finally, the federal government cracked down and said, you ain't getting your highway funds. And for years, Louisiana didn't get all of its highway funds. And ultimately, uh, during the Clinton administration, they jacked up. Uh, when I turned 21, they made the drinking age 21. Um, Louisiana has terrible roads. I one time took my wife over. We were dating at the time. No, no I think we just got married. We were driving I-12 I through South Louisiana, and the road was bumpy. And my wife was trying to sleep. She asked if I would get in the other lane. And I got in the other lane. And it was even worse than the first lane. And she swung her arm around and pounded me in the chest. And I said, get in the other lane. I said, I, I am in the other lane. What do you want me to do? Uh, she had never experienced Louisiana roads before. They're terrible. A self-driving car in Louisiana is going to get you eaten by an alligator. The whole idea of the self-driving car in urban areas, undoubtedly, they're going to be great. I've got a friend of mine who's got the souped-up Tesla, and he loves it. But this idea that uh, there's a county near me, half the roads in the county are dirt roads. You're not going to get a self-driving car to figure out the dirt roads. It is amazing technology. I, I am not dismissive of it any more than I am dismissive of the battery-powered car. But this idea from urban people, not just liberals, but a lot of conservatives as well, but people who live in urban areas that everybody's going to drive a self-driving car. Those cars are going to pick us up and take us to work and get us safely home, and they're going to be battery-powered. It doesn't work out there in the heartland. It doesn't work in so many parts of the country. And so many major companies and so many people are designing our life, not just them. They want government grants and subsidies to put us all into a lifestyle that is not compatible with the way we live our lives. This is one problem with the federal government becoming as big as it is. Because everyone pours their hopes and team dreams and ambitions into this one-size-fits-all-we-can-get-Washington-to-take-care-of-an idea. Washington can't take care of you. Hell, locally, depending on where you live, you, the police may not show up in time to save you when the bad guy breaks into your house. Washington, sure, of course, is not going to do that. You got to be able to live your life. I don't fault Apple for developing these technologies. Back to this Mark Gurman piece. Having an onboard computer to handle autonomous tasks is similar to an approach used by other car makers, including Tesla. Apple plans to differ from Tesla by using a combination of LiDAR and radar sensors along with cameras. The setup helps the car determine its location, see driving lanes, assess how far it is from other objects and people. Tesla relies on cameras while Alphabet Incorporated, that's uh, Google, it's Waymo, and others use a combination. In addition to onboard hardware, the system has a cloud-based component for some artificial intelligence processing. Apple is relying on Amazon Web Services for hosting, costing the iPhone maker $125 million a year. But that's just a sliver of the roughly $1 billion the company's spending on the car project annually. 
Apple is exploring the idea of a remote command center to assist drivers and control cars from afar during emergencies. The company's discussing its own insurance program for customers. It wants to sell the car for $120,000 and maybe now less than $100,000. I'm an Apple fan. Everything in my office tech-wise that I'm looking at right now is from Apple. Except my road um, caster. I am not buying a $100,000 Apple self-driving vehicle. I'd rather get the, the Cadillac version of my Denali SUV. It, by the way, will come with some level of self-driving mode, but I won't use it very much. Uh, right now, I've, I've got the lane assist function and the, the cruise control thing, which drives my wife crazy. Somebody pulls out in front of you, it's great. It slams on the brakes automatically, but goodness gracious. You, you, you head up to somebody who's moving slower than you and your car just slows down and you don't even realize it until suddenly you're, it happened to me last night on the way home. I was going faster than some of the other cars because of the weather. My car is perfectly safe to do. Their cars, they didn't feel comfortable doing it. Uh, but I'm headed down the road. I'm doing slightly over 70. The speed limit is 70. It's doing slightly over 70. <clears throat> and had cars going 60 miles an hour on the interstate and my car would just slowly slow down as it approached them. And I'm having to move around them. And I just, this technology doesn't work as good as these companies do. When I was a kid, I loved technology. I mean, to this day, I love technology. I am an early adopter on all sorts of things. But as I get older, I see the limits. And God bless the dreamers who never see the limits, who always want to push past the limits to new potential. God bless them. They innovate. But the idea we are all going to turn our lives upside down, we're going to trust vehicles with our lives, and we're going to drive battery-powered cars when we can't even keep the power grid on. Can you imagine the people up in Southern Pines, North Carolina, the power grid goes out, it's going to be out for days, and they're all in battery-powered cars? How are they going to get to work? Many of them commute to Raleigh, North Carolina. How are they going to get there when they can't charge their Teslas because there is no power? And yet that's the world so many of these people in their cloistered urban existence on the left and the right want all of us to live. Maybe we should be allowed to choose our own lives for us. They tell us we have a right to an abortion. They tell us in some places now they're complaining we have a right to euthanasia in Canada now. Uh, we have rights to this and rights to that. Why don't we have the right to be left alone? Why don't we have the right to determine our destiny for ourselves? Why don't we have the right to determine our car preference? Why don't we have these rights as well instead of having the government and the left and the regulators and the wokes decide how to live our lives for us and which cars we should drive, where we should live? Let's just live and let live and perhaps we'll all be better off. Hi there, it is Eric Erickson here. This hour of the program brought to you by Americans for Prosperity. AFP has been out there for years helping free markets and free people. They want you to be involved with free markets and free people. They want you to grow uh, your knowledge of conservatism and be able to advocate for conservative causes. And you can do that by going to americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K, americansforprosperity.org slash Eric today. Americans for Prosperity is a conservative do tank. They have organizations around the country where they do take great action instead of just being a think tank in Washington with white papers no one reads. 
They raise up conservatives. Yeah, they teach them how to be better activists. They teach them how to go to local school boards or their state legislature, county commission, make compelling arguments on behalf of free markets and free people. If you support free markets, free people, you should reach out to them. Americansforprosperity.org slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K. So I, I got to say, I was going to talk about this in the last uh, segment until I got distracted by the whole, whole self-driving car thing. Uh, but there's not a lot of need to spend a ton of time on it uh, because they themselves have been so dismissive of it. Uh, the president of the United States has decided he is heading off to the border. He's just not heading to the southern American border. He's going to Central and South America, and he's going to talk to those people. To be sure and to be fair, there are reasons for the president to go there to deal with the massive wave of uh, illegal immigration heading to this border. There are root causes in those countries triggering it. The Democrats are right about that. The problem, however, is that they choose to ignore the crisis at our southern border, and the president of the United States himself has been fully dismissive of going to our southern border. He refuses to go see the southern border. Uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre is the White House press secretary, and she flat out lied to the White House staff the other day, claiming that, in fact, the president of the United States had been to the border and it simply is not true. She flat out lied when she said that he had been. Uh, Kevin McCarthy says that he invited President Biden down to the border. How does the president RSVP? <laughs> <laughs> well, we, know, we know the president's never been down to the border. The possible next speaker says that he wants him to go with him. So is he going to? So look, uh He's been there. He's been to the border. Uh, and since he took office, when, when did he go to the border? Since he took office, the- he has not been to the border. He has not. And he's not going to go because if he went, it would draw too much attention to the problem at the American border. This is a failure of this administration. It is fundamentally a failure of this administration. We did not have the problem at the border that the border now has. When Donald Trump was president, the border problem was not nearly what it was, right, or, or what it is right now. And if he were to go down there, uh, the media would be forced to cover the problem, which is why he's not going. The problem is that he's not only not going, he's not offering solutions to fix the problem at the border. He's not intending to do it. And I personally believe that um, there's there's a lot more the president could be doing. Here he is, uh, Peter Ducey, shouted at the president as he was leaving uh, to head out of town. Third state and not visit the border. Because there's a more important thing going on. They're going to invest billions of dollars in a new enterprise. There are more important things going on. They're going to invest billions of dollars in a new enterprise. No, they're not. He's not taking it seriously. And you know, this comes up time and time again as a concern with voters. It is really remarkable to me that Republicans didn't do well in November. That has a lot to do with the style and quality of the candidates. We'll find out tonight about candidate quality in Georgia. But just because the Democrats did better than anyone expected them to, including themselves, doesn't mean 
people agree with him on these issues. The border remains a big issue. It's going to be a big issue. All right, tomorrow we'll have the results in Georgia. If you're in Georgia, remember, you can go vote until 7 p.m. If you are in line at 7 p.m., you still get to vote, even if it's 7 p.m., stay in line. I'll talk to you all guys tomorrow.